Chapter Twenty of Max by Catherine Cecil Thornton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter Twenty. Max passed down the long low room, blind to the white light, blind to the flowers and faces, deaf to the voices and laughter and swaying sound of stringed instruments. One glance he permitted himself, one only, at the table where the man and woman still looked into each other's eyes and where the sheaf of pink roses still shed its incense. Then he passed down the steep short stairs, halting at the door of the café, hesitating between two atmospheres. Outside, the sharp street lights, the cold, wind-swept pavement. Within, the hot air, the close sense of humanity, powerful as a narcotic. "'Ned,' he said, looking back for Blake, "'I need a favour. Will you grant it?' "'A hundred. Blake was buttoning up his coat. "'Then wish me good-night here. I would go home alone.' "'Alone? What nonsense! You don't think I'd desert you when you're seedy. What you want you there? We'll take a stroll along the boulevards.' Max shook his head. He seemed wrapped in his own thoughts. His pale face was full of purpose. "'I'm quite well, now.' "'Then all the more reason for the stroll. Come along.' But the boy drew away. "'Another time, not to-night.' "'Why not?' "'I cannot tell you.' Blake looked more closely at the nervously set lips, the dark eyebrows drawn into a frown. "'I say, boy, it hasn't got any nerves, this place. I know what a queer little beggar you are.' "'No, it is not that.' "'Then what? Another inspiration?' "'No.' "'Very well. I won't probe. I'm old enough to know that the human animal is inexplicable. Good night, and good luck. I'll see you tomorrow.' "'Tomorrow, yes.' There was relief in the readiness of the response, relief in the quick thrusting forth of the boy's hand. "'Good night.' "'Good night, and go to bed when you get home. You're very white.' "'Yes.' His voice seemed to recede further into its distance-absorbed note. His fingers were withdrawn from Blake's close pressure with a haste that was unusual. And, turning away, he crossed the boulevard as though the vision of some spectre had lent wings to his feet. No impression of romance touched him as he hastened up the narrow streets toward his home. He had no eyes for the secret shadows, the mysterious corners usually so fruitful of suggestion. His whole perceptions were turned inward. His self-consciousness was a thing so living, so acute, that he went forward as one bereft of sight or hearing. Reaching the foot of the Escalier de Saint-Marie, he quickened his already hurried pace and began to run up the uneven steps. The door of his house stood open, and he plunged into the dark well of the hall without waiting to strike a match. By instinct his hand found the smooth banister, and he began his climb of the stairs. Up he went and up, living in himself with that perfect absorption that comes in rare and violent moments, moments of sorrow, of pleasure, or it may be of surprise, when a new thought suspends the action of the brain. In obedience to some unconsidered instinct, he softened his steps on reaching the fifth floor, and crept across the bare corridor to the door of his own rooms. He entered quietly, and, still ignoring the need for light, groped away to his bedroom. It was the room that had once belonged to Madame Salas, and, like the kitchen, it looked upon the network of roofs and chimneys that spread away at the rear of the house. Now, as he entered, closed the door, and stood leaning against it, breathing quickly, these roofs and chimneys, seen through the uncurtained window, 
made a picturesque medley of lines and curves, startlingly distinct against the star-powdered sky. The ethereal light of a Parisian spring night filled the room, touching the white walls, the white bed, a bowl of flowers upon the dressing-table and its fairy-like reflection in the mirror, to a subtly insidious fragility that verged upon the unreal. And the boy, quivering to his tangled sensations, felt this unreality quicken his self-distrust, touch and goad him as a spur. Physical action became imperative. He walked unsteadily across the room, pulled the serge curtains across the window, abruptly shutting out both stars and roofs, and, turning to the dressing-table, groped for matches and struck a light. Four candles stood in an old silver candelabra. He touched them with a match-flame. They flickered, spat, rose to a steady glow. In the new light the room looked warmer, more in touch with human things, and, moving with the inevitableness of a pendulum, his mind swung to a definite desire. Impulse seized him. Questions, doubts, fears were submerged. Trembling to a loose emotion, he ran across the room and bent over his narrow bed. He was alone now, alone in the absolutely primal sense of the word, when the individual ceases to act even to himself. The instinct he had denied was dominating him, and he was yielding with a sense of intoxication. With hands that shook in excitement, he raised the mattress, and, searching beneath, drew forth an object, a flat packet, bound and sealed. The packet, in fine, that had lain so deep and snug in the pocket of his overcoat on the night of his entry into Paris. His hand, his whole body, was trembling as he brought it to light and walked back to the dressing-table. There he pulled forward a chair and sat down before the mirror. For a full minute he sat, as if enchained. Then at length, in obedience to the force that was dominating him, his fingers crept under the string, there came to the air a faint, sharp crackle, and the seals broke. The, the seals broke, a gasp slipped from between his parted lips, and in his hands lay the symbol of all the imaginings, all the pretty mockery wherewith he purported to cheat nature. It lay in his hands, a simple thing, potent as simple things ever are. No rare jewel, no state paper, merely the long, thick strands of a woman's hair. The paper fell away, and he lifted it shakingly to the light. Stiff-coiled from its long imprisonment, it unwound slowly, allowing the candlelight to filch strange hues from its dark length, tints of bronze, tinges of copper colour that gleamed elusively from the one end, where it had been roughly clipped from the head, to the other, where it still curled and twisted into little tendrils like a living thing. A woman's hair, a weapon old as time, as light, as destructible, as possessed of subtle powers as of woman herself. Strand upon strand he drew it out, following the glints of light with dazed, questioning eyes. A woman's hair, a woman's hair woven to blind men's eyes. Max leaned forward, quivering to a new impulse, and, raising the heavy coils, twisted them swiftly about his head. With the action the blood rushed into his cheeks, a flame of excitement sprang into his eyes, and, drawing the candles closer, he peered into the mirror. There are moments when a retrospective impression is overwhelming, when a scent, a sight, a sound can quicken things dead, things buried out of mind. Max looked, and, looking, lost himself. 
the boy, with his bravery of ignorance, his frankly arrogant egoism, was effaced as might be the writing from a slate, and in his place was a sexless creature, rarely beautiful, with parted, tremulous lips and wide eyes, in which subtle, crowding thoughts struggled for expression. He looked, he lost himself, and, losing, heard nothing of a sound, faint and undefined, that stole from the region of the outer door, nothing of a light step in the little hall outside his room. Leaning closer to the mirror, still gazing absorbed, he began to twist the short waves of his own hair more closely into the strands that resembled them so nearly in texture and hue. It was then, quietly, with the appalling quietude that can appertain to a fateful action, that the handle of the bedroom door clicked, the door itself opened, and the little Jacqueline, more child than ever in the throes of a swift amazement, stood revealed, a lighted candle in one hand, in the other a china mug. At sound of the entry, Max had wheeled round, his hand still automatically holding up the strands of hair. At the vision that confronted him, a look of rage flashed over his face, the violent, unrestrained rage of the creature taken unawares. At the look, the little Jacqueline quailed, her lips opened and drooped, her right hand was lowered, until the candlestick hung at a perilous angle and the wax began to drip upon the floor. "'Oh!' she cried, and I thought to find the room empty. "'Pardon, pardon, oh, pardon, Miss, madame!' End of chapter 20